Chapter 7 of J. S. Bach by Albert Schweitzer Translated by Ernest Newman This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto From Eisenach to Leipzig The Bach family can be traced back in Thuringia as far as the beginning of the Reformation. In the family chronicle begun by Johann Sebastian and continued by his son Philip Emmanuel, the baker, Veit Bach, is named as the progenitor of the line to which the composer belonged. Forkel, in his biography of Bach, 1802, expressed the opinion that this Veit Bach came from Hungary. The truth is, however, that he had emigrated there from Thuringia, returning when the Germans in Hungary began to suffer during the Counter-Reformation. He settled in Wechmar, near Gotha. When he went into the mill to grind his corn, he would take his guitar with him and play, regardless of the racket around him. One of his grandchildren, Heinrich, settled at Arnstadt. His sons, Johann Christoph, died 1703, and Johann Michael, died 1694, were especially prominent members of the race. Johann Christoph was organist at Eisenach. Johann Michael was organist and town clerk at Geren. The members of this huge family of musicians had, as Forkel says, a very great attachment to each other. Since it was impossible to live all together in one place, they made a point of seeing each other at least once a year, and appointed a certain day at which they were all to be present at a chosen place. Even when the family had greatly increased and had spread itself abroad beyond Thuringia, in various parts of Upper and Lower Saxony, and in France, they continued their yearly foregatherings. The rendezvous was generally Erfurt, Eisenach, or Arnstadt. The manner in which they passed the time during the meeting was wholly musical. As the company consisted of cantors, organists, and town musicians, all connected in some way with the church, and as it was the general custom at that time to commence all things with religion, the first thing they did when they met together was to sing a chorale. From this devout beginning they passed to jests, which often contrasted very strongly with the chorale. That is to say, they improvised folk songs together, some of which were comic, some even indecent, in such a way that the various impromptu parts made a kind of harmony, though the words were different in each voice. They called this kind of extempore counterpoint quodlibet, and could not only laugh heartily at it themselves, but it aroused also an equally hearty and uncontrollable laughter in every one who heard them. Bach's grandfather, Christoph Bach, died 1661, was a son of Hans Kasper Bach and a grandchild of Fate Bach. Bach's father, Johann Ambrosius, lived first in Erfurt and afterwards from 1671 in Eisenach. He had a twin brother, Johann Christoph, court and town musician at Arnstadt, who was so like him that even their respective wives could only distinguish them by their clothes. They had the most tender affection for each other. Speech, sentiments, the style of their music, their methods of performance, all were alike. When one was ill, so was the other. They died within a short time of each other. They were the admiration of all who saw them. Bach's mother, Elizabeth, was a Lamahirt by birth. Her father was a furrier at Erfurt. Johann Sebastian was born on 21st March 1685 at Eisenach. His mother died nine years later, leaving her husband with four children, of whom Johann Sebastian was the youngest. 
Not long afterwards, at the beginning of 1695, the father also died. He had married for the second time a little while before. Bach was thus left an orphan at the age of ten. The eldest of the brothers, Johann Christoph, born in 1671, took the two youngest, Johann Jakob and Johann Sebastian, with him to Ordruf, where he was organist. They attended the gymnasium there, and their brother instructed them in music. Johann Sebastian was too zealous for his teacher. He asked the latter for a volume containing clavier pieces by Froberger, Kerl, Bachelbel, and others. Being refused it, he dragged it with his tiny hands through the lattice door of the cupboard in which it was kept, and copied it out on moonlit nights. In six months the copy was complete. The brother heard of it, however, and took the copy from him. In 1700, as Johann Christoph's family was always increasing, Bach had to think of finding a shelter elsewhere. His good soprano voice secured him a place in the school of the convent of St. Michael in Luneburg with his friend Erdmann. He soon lost his voice, but was retained because he was useful as a violinist in the orchestra. We do not know whether he received lessons from the organ virtuoso Bohm. He had at any rate heard him play, though Bohm was not at St. Michael's Church but at St. John's. It is a fact of great consequence that in the choir to which he belonged, he had opportunities of becoming acquainted with the best specimens of German church music. The catalogue of the well-stocked musical library of the gymnasium had been preserved. It included works by Italian as well as German composers. From Luneburg, Bach went more than once to Hamburg to hear the famous Reinken, and no doubt to see the opera. He also went to Celle. The court band there consisted largely of French players. Duke Georg Wilhelm of Brunswick, having married a Huguenot lady, Desmier d'Aubreuse, surrounded himself with a French court. Even the court organist, Charles Godou, was a Frenchman. We do not know who procured for Bach the entree to the court concerts. It is possible that he was employed as assistant violinist, for after leaving the gymnasium in 1703 at the age of 18, he procured an engagement in the band of Duke Johann Ernst at Weimar. He stayed there only a few months, however, going to Arnstadt in 1704 as organist at the new church. The instrument had just been built. At the Franciscan church, the organist was Christoph Hertum. He had married a woman of the Bach family, and besides being an organist, was a count's clerk of the kitchen. In Arnstadt, Bach laid the foundation of his mastery of the organ. As his office claimed him only three times a week, he had a good deal of time to himself. In October 1705, he was granted leave of absence for four weeks in order to go to Lübeck and hear the great organist Buxtehude. He was thus present at the great memorial performance on 2nd December 1705, on the occasion of the death of Leopold I. We do not know whether he learned from Buxtehude only by hearing him play, or whether he had lessons from him. In any case, the attraction of the master was so strong for him that he quite forgot the necessity of returning to Arnstadt. He stayed over Christmas and the New Year in Lübeck, and did not get back to Arnstadt until the middle of February, 1706. On the 21st of that month, he was summoned before the consistory to justify his having exceeded his holiday. The proceedings of the meeting are still preserved. Bach did not condescend to make any excuses, but said he thought that his deputy would have filled the office in such a way that no complaint would have been possible. The consistory availed itself of the opportunity to remonstrate with him on his extravagant way of accompanying the chorales, and further reproached him with not attending to the choir of scholars, and with having performed so little 
figurate music. We must not regard the church authorities as being lacking in a sense of the genius of the young organist. Their complaints were wholly justified. Bach had been unable to do anything with a choir, thus already revealing that lack of talent for organization that later on was to make his situation in Leipzig so difficult. In this he differed radically from Schutz, who always knew how to get the best results out of the material at his disposal and to train his forces gradually up to the highest possible efficiency. Bach, on the contrary, was no pedagogue. He could not even maintain discipline. If things did not go as he wanted, he flew into a temper, thereby only making the matter worse, lost heart, and let things go as they choose. He was on very bad terms with the singers and with the scholar who led the choir. Before his Lübeck journey, there had been a fracas between himself and one of the scholars, Gaius Bach. The latter, having had an injurious epithet applied to him by Bach, had set upon him with a stick in the street. Bach had drawn his sword. Fortunately, other scholars had thrown themselves between them and separated them. The affair had gone before the consistory, where it was proved that Bach had really used the offensive epithet in question. At the February sitting, he was required to say definitely whether he would attend to the choir or not. Eight days were given him for reflection. In November, he had not yet replied. He was again summoned to a sitting on the 11th when he promised to give his reply in writing. Whether he ever did so, we do not know. At this last sitting, he was reproached with having recently made music in the church with a stranger maiden, without having received permission to do so. He made the excuse that he had spoken about it to the clergyman Magister Uta. It need hardly be said that this music-making was a private and weekday matter, and that the stranger maiden did not take part in the Sunday service. This was not permitted under any circumstances. At that time, women were not allowed to sing in church, even in Hamburg. His position had become untenable. Just then, on 2nd December 1706, the organist of the Church of St. Blasius in Mulhausen, Johann Georg Aller, died. In the spring of 1707, Bach received an invitation to give a trial performance on the organ of this free imperial town, which was artistic in its sympathies. On the 15th June, he received the appointment. On the 29th, he gave up the keys of the Arnstadt organ at the council house and left to his cousin Ernst, son of Johann Christoph Bach, his father's twin brother, the five gulden of his salary, which was still unpaid. His emoluments in Mulhausen consisted of 85 gulden, three combs of corn, two cords of wood, and six trusses of brushwood, both to be delivered at his door, and three pounds of fish per annum. On the 17th October of the same year, Bach married his cousin, Maria Barbara Bach, daughter of Johann Michael Bach, the organist and clerk at Geren. They were married at Dornheim, near Arnstadt, by Johann Lorenz Stauber, who was connected with the Bach family by ties of friendship and kinship. This Maria Barbara Bach was presumably the stranger maiden with whom Bach had made music in the church at Arnstadt. Her mother, the daughter of Wedemann, the town clerk at Arnstadt, had an unmarried sister in that town, Regina, whom she may have been visiting. Soon afterwards, in 1708, this aunt married Stauber, the clergyman at Dornheim, who had lost his wife a year before. When Bach entered upon his post at Mulhausen, the musical conditions of the town were in a woeful state of decay. The town was living on its past reputation. The congregation was split in two by a disagreement between the Orthodox party and the Pietists, by which art did not profit much. A fortnight before the appointment of the new organist, 
a fire had reduced to ashes a great part of the town and that the richest and most beautiful it can easily be understood that just then the burghers had something else to think about than the reorganization of the church music they thought they had done their part when they had engaged an artist at an exceptionally good salary he however had no capacity for reorganization a year after his appointment he applied for his release in his petition he frankly acknowledges that he is going because he does not see any immediate improvement in the musical conditions they parted however on good terms with each other bach was still to superintend the work on the organ the renovation of which he had undertaken according to his plans in his new post bach had nothing to do with the choir he went to weimar as court organist and chamber musician to the reigning duke wilhelm ernst one of the most distinguished and cultured princes of his time and thoroughly devoted to art when bach entered his service the duke was in his forty-sixth year in the religious struggles he was on the side of orthodoxy and took care that his people had the pure doctrine he had married a princess of jena but they soon separated the court band numbered about twenty members many of them as was usual at that time also acted as footmen cooks or huntsmen on special occasions they waited on their master in hungarian costume so that bach also must have donned this dress the organ in the castle church was not large but it is evident from the specification of it that has been preserved that it must have had a uniformly fine tone bach must occasionally have been incommoded by the fact that the pitch of the organ was the cornet tone that is a minor third above the ordinary pitch Camerton. in the town church there was a considerably larger organ it was played by johann gottfried walter the subsequent author of the first german musical lexicon on his mother's side she was a lammerhirt by birth he was related to bach the two men seem to have formed a sincere friendship with each other though we do not know whether they still had much intercourse after bach had left weimar spitter is of opinion that later on a certain estrangement sprang up between them since walter in his music lexicon seventeen hundred and thirty two devotes only a moderately short article to bach the inference is not conclusive walter's articles are confined to an enumeration of printed works the section on handel is still shorter than that on bach bach's salary to begin with was one hundred and fifty six golden it increased until in seventeen hundred and thirteen it was two hundred and twenty five golden in the following year it was probably again increased bach having been then advanced to the position of concertmeister from this time he had to provide cantatas for the church service the kapellmeister was johann samuel dreser who was already well on in his sixties his son johann wilhelm acted as his deputy we do not know whether bach had any close personal relations with the prince his master probably not for in that case it would be inexplicable how he came to be passed over when in seventeen hundred and sixteen a successor had to be appointed to the deceased kapellmeister at first an attempt was made to secure telemann who was at that time in frankfurt when he declined the offer the post was given to dreiser's son he was a musician of little account his sole claim being that he had always acted for his father during his last years after this event bach's only thought was how to get away from weimar as quickly as possible when prince leopold of anhalt kulten offered him the post of kapellmeister at his court he snatched at it eagerly which he certainly would not have had done had it not been a case of finding another situation at any cost 
The office, indeed, had little that was attractive for a man with the objects that Bach had in view. The Koten court belonged to the Reformed Church. There was consequently no church music. The church of the castle contained a small organ of inferior quality. That of the Reformed town church was rather larger. Bach was merely the director of his master's chamber music. In his haste to leave Weimar, he seems to have demanded his immediate release in a rather peremptory way. The duke, who did not approve of behavior of this kind, had the refractory court organist arrested on the 2nd November and kept under arrest until the 2nd December. He took up his new position at Christmas, 1717. If it was not wholly satisfactory from the artistic standpoint, in another respect it was extremely agreeable. The prince was young, he was not yet twenty-five, and had had a sound musical education. He had travelled in Italy, taking with him Johann David Heineken, 1683-1729, to one of the most notable musical theoreticians of the time, to initiate him into Italian art. In the orchestra, which was not very large, the prince himself seems to have played the violin. He also possessed a well-trained bass voice. He was well qualified to appreciate the worth of his new couplemeister. He was proud of him, and took him with him on all his journeys. In time, a cordial friendship grew up between the two men, which lasted even after Bach had left Cohen. The six years that he passed in this small capital were the most pleasant in Bach's whole career. He had time for composition and there was no unpleasantness of any kind to mar his joy in his work. During the Cothen epoch, however, there befell the most serious misfortune he had yet known. Returning with the prince from Karlsbad in July 1720, he found that his wife had died suddenly in his absence and had been buried on 7th July. All her husband could do was to make a pious pilgrimage to the grave of her, who for thirteen years had been the faithful and devoted sharer of his lot. Of the seven children that Maria Barbara had borne to him, four were living at the time of her death. The eldest, a daughter named Katharina Dorothea, was twelve years old. Wilhelm Friedemann was ten. Then came Philip Emanuel and his brother Johann Gottfried Bernhard, who was about a year younger than he. A year and a half later, Bach found a new life partner in Anna Magdalena Wulken, the daughter of Johann Caspar Wulken, court and field trumpeteer at Weissenfels. The marriage was solemnized on 3rd December 1721. The bridegroom was 36, the bride 21. This marriage was a thoroughly happy one in every respect. Anna Magdalena was not only a careful housewife who behaved with the utmost kindness to Bach's motherless children, she was also an artist who could enter intelligently into her husband's work. She had a good and well-trained soprano voice. Her husband made it his care to develop her musical faculties. We still possess two Clavier Buchlein, little books for the clavier, von Anna Magdalena Bach, the first belonging to seventeen hundred and twenty two, the second, which is in a fine green leather binding, bearing the date seventeen hundred and twenty five. The first contains twenty four easy pieces for the clavier, the second consists of preludes, suites, chorales, and sacred and secular songs. Bach also instructed his wife in the art of playing from figured basses. At the end of the clavier book line of 1725, we find some highly important rules of General Basso recorded in his handwriting. His scholar richly repaid him for the pains he took with her, for she was useful to him in copying music. A number of the finest works of Bach have come down to us in her writing. In the course of years, her script became so much like that of her husband that it is difficult to distinguish one from the other.
For a long time, for instance, the score of the cantata O Heilges Geisthund Wasserbad, number 165, was regarded as an autograph of Bach's until Spita proved it to be a copy made by Anna Magdalena. How many hours must she have had to steal from her household duties when the week was drawing to a close, and the parts of the new cantata were not yet copied? She also taught the children to do this kind of work. In the second oboe part in the cantata, Ir die Ir euch von Christo Nenet, number 164, the headings, the key signatures and the bar lines are in her writing, but not the notes, which are clumsy and awkwardly connected. A small monogram at the end of the part, in which an attempt is made to intertwine the three initials WFB, shows the copyist to have been Wilhelm Friedemann Bach. The cantata probably belongs to the year 1724. The boy at that time was 14 years old. It was his first fair copy. We can see him sitting at the table. The sunlit plays on the floor. The mother, busily flitting to and fro, supervises his work. He had just written Ilfina at the end. But it is not done well enough for her. She writes the words again in her large, easy characters. There is a footstep on the stairs. The door opens. The father has come home. His growing boys now made it imperative for Bach to think of looking out for another post. In Coton, he could not procure for them the education that they needed. He himself longed to be back at his organ and lamented his virtual severance from church music. Hamburg attracted him, although the opera there had for some time now lost a good deal of its earlier glory. The town was still one of the musical centers of Germany. Here Madison sat in judgment upon artists and their works. Here raged the war between the new and the old church music. Here were the most splendid organs. Here lived Edmund Neumeister, the celebrated librettist of church cantatas. It so happened that the organist's post at St. Jacob's Church became vacant in September 1720 by the death of its quondam occupier, Heinrich Frieser. A few weeks afterwards, Bach went to Hamburg and performed on the organ of St. Catherine's Church before Reinken, who was then nearly a hundred years old, and a select company. The story is well known of how the old master of the organ went up to the younger one who had just improvised for half an hour on the chorale on Barsiflusen Babylon and complimented him with the words, I thought this art had perished, but I see that it still lives on in you. The praise was all the more flattering inasmuch as Reinken himself had treated the same melody at length in a chorale prelude, of which he was not a little proud. Bach was exempted from giving a trial exhibition for the post at St. Jacob's. We may be sure that Neumeister, who was a clergyman of the church, strenuously urged his election. His candidature failed, however. The choice, which was made on the 19th December, fell on a certain Johann Joachim Heitmann. The church accounts let us see wherein consisted his superiority over Bach in the eyes of the authorities of St. Jacob's. On 6 January 1721, he paid into the church treasury the sum of 4,000 marks in acknowledgment of his election. The fact that he expended so much to secure the post leads us to surmise that it must have had some very lucrative perquisites attached to it. Neumeister was indignant and gave vent to his vexation in a sermon. Speaking at Christmas of the angels who made music at the birth of Christ, he added that their art would certainly have availed them nothing in Hamburg. He really believed, he said, that if one of the angels of Bethlehem, who could play divinely, were to come down from heaven and try to become organist at St. Jacob's, but had no money, he would simply have to fly back again. Whether Madison exerted himself on behalf of Bach in this affair is not known. 
that bach did not settle at hamburg can only be regarded as a misfortune the position offered much fewer difficulties and occasions for modification than the one he afterwards accepted in leipzig on the other hand we must not forget that in hamburg he would have had to dispense almost entirely with the chorus in his church music since there was no choir there and what encouragement for his creative work would he have found among a committee that set finance above art a year and a half later in june seventeen hundred and twenty two the post of cantor at st thomas's church in leipzig became vacant the council was looking for a worthy successor to kuhnhau it did not however think of bach in the first place but entered into negotiations with telemann who was at that time regarded as the leading german composer and was favorably remembered by the leipzigers from his student days seventeen hundred and one to seventeen hundred and four the negotiations were broken off because telemann could not obtain his release from hamburg where he had but recently seventeen hundred and twenty one been appointed director of the town music after him the darmstadt kapellmeister graupner a capable pupil of kuhnhau was most thought of in connection with the post bach did not apply until towards the end of the year he delayed it so long because he found it hard to leave his agreeable situation with his cultivated prince and to surrender the position of kapellmeister for that of a simple cantor to be under the order of a school rector and to teach choir boys he finally succeeded in making the resolution to sacrifice his leisure and his pride to his children at first it was not altogether agreeable to me he writes some years later to his friend erdmann to change the position of kapellmeister for that of cantor consequently i delayed my resolution for a quarter of a year nevertheless this post was so favorably described to me that finally especially as my sons appeared to be inclined to study i ventured upon it in the name of the most high and went to leipzig passed my trial and at once set about the removal he was not exempted from the trial which had not been waived even in the case of telemann he produced the cantata jesus nam zusich die zwolf on quinca jessima sunday seventh february seventeen hundred and twenty three as graupner could not get his discharge from the darmstadt court and the other competitors could not measure themselves against bach he was elected unanimously it has recently become the fashion to reproach the leipzig council with having only taken up with bach after it had vainly tried to secure the shallow telemann and the insignificant graupner the reproach is unjustified both the other men were well known in leipzig and had a reputation with their contemporaries that bach did not yet possess it is too much to expect of a committee that it should anticipate the judgment of posterity the town council's business was to find a musician of recognized ability to succeed kuhnhau and not to be influenced by any other consideration it therefore finally selected bach the choice honored both the judges and the competitor for bach certainly felt it an honor to become the successor of kuhnhau his nomination was notified to him on fifth may seventeen hundred and twenty three and on monday the thirty-first of the same month he was installed in his new office he took up his quarters in the cantor's house in the left wing of the st thomas's school buildings his wanderings were at an end end of chapter seven read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama